If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9. If you stand, I will be reading verses 19 through 27, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 27. It's really, we finish out Paul's argument concerning the nature of his apostleship, but also his own example as he encourages, challenges the people to flee from idolatry and sets the example for them and how that is actually done. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being under the law, myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Please be seated. Now, as we were talking about training and running and games and things this morning, I did a little research on what it takes to become an Olympic athlete, and I came across an interesting article of about a, a man encouraging parents as to how they could help their kids become Olympic athletes. So my uh, prospective Olympic Olympians here uh, perk up because this might be for you. It says, it's best to start training your child when they are young, anywhere from two to five years old. So get out the golf clubs for your two-year-old. Let's go. All right, though this may seem young, a statistic reported is that Olympians need to train anywhere from eight to nine years before they have a full mastery of their sport. Because of this almost 10-year training period, the earlier they find their sport, the better. Olympians dedicate thousands of hours to the sport from the time that they start training to the end of their competitive career. As children, athletes spend about 250 hours a year. As young teens, the young athletes will spend almost 600 hours dedicated to their sport. The older they get, the more developed and into competition they become. As they get close to the Olympics, they'll be spending anywhere from 1,100 hours to more, between 1,100 to 2,000 hours a year training. Now, not only is the training mandatory, but of course, then all of the competitions that come along with that to hone their skills. In a statistic that was published, regardless of how much training actually happens, only one in 30,000 basketball and tennis competitors, just to name a few, make it to the Olympics. So you might want to change your sport. Now, not only, of course, is there all this time, but time means energy and money, right? So there's effort involved, sacrifice. With all the time spent training, this article goes on to say, there are sacrifices that have to be made. Because so many hours are devoted to training, it's rare that the athletes get to go and play at school or hang out with their friends. Many athletes have to be homeschooled as their schedules won't allow them to train and attend regular school hours. So there you go, another reason for homeschooling. Get my kids so they can go to the Olympics. Training, paying for a coach, uniforms, equipment, travel, they all add up, which can be devastating for a family. It's averaged that a competitive gymnast with training for five years can account for about $120,000 or more in expenses. 
for example, two-time gold winner, I think more than that actually, now Simone Biles, has had a financial difficulty in her family due to her dreams. In fact, in 2012, her mother had to file for bankruptcy due to the crushing expenses of her career. And yet this article goes on to laud the idea that you would give this kind of sacrifice so that your kids could be Olympians. The Olympics is not that bad of a goal, I suppose, but there are other things in life more important, and yet there's one goal that's far higher, of course, than reaching the Olympics, that of being conformed to the image of Christ, of bringing glory to God by, by giving our lives for the gospel, and yet for that, sometimes we are willing to give far less effort. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the effort that is necessary in order to win the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The relentless mantra of the world is that the best way to live life is to give free reign to your desires. You want to become an Olympian, just give everything to that, any sacrifice necessary. We're told over and over that the indulgence of ourselves is the key to happiness and fulfillment. But in the Christian life, this is just the opposite. The way to freedom and joy is the denial of the original desires of our hearts and the replacement of them with the desires that Christ puts there. Because sin remains in us, there is always a process in the Christian life of self-discipline and self-control. So we are turning away from sin, but even in our positive pursuits, even in pursuing Christ, there's a self-discipline to do that well, to shape and mold our lives after the things of Christ. Always we will have to have a spiritual control, that which is produced by the Spirit of God according to the Word of God and for the purposes of bringing glory to God. So what we'll see this morning is that in order to become a slave to all men, the believer must exercise self-control in every area of life, which enables them to run the race of the Christian life in a prize-winning fashion. In order to become a slave to all men, the believer must exercise self-control in every area of life, which enables them to run the race of the Christian life in a prize-winning fashion. The primary thought for this morning is this, discipline yourself to run and win. Now, in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, we know that the Apostle Paul is in the midst of an extended argument on idolatry. That is, his main theme is flee idolatry. And one of the primary means by which that is done is to lay down our liberties. Even the things that we have in Christ that we could pursue, we lay them down so that we will not be drawn back into idolatry and so that we will not stumble others into idolatry either. So he's been making this long extended argument about how to know God and how to use our knowledge about God. He really has come to kind of a culmination in chapter 9, the verses that we read last week where he says in verse 19, though I'm free from all men, I make myself a slave to all. In all the freedoms that I would have, free as an apostle, free as a man in Christ, free as no longer underneath the Mosaic law, yet under the law of Christ, free to do what? To become a slave, and it is only Christians, we said last week, that can truly have this kind of freedom because unbelievers are enslaved to everything. Believers are set free to be slaves to Christ and therefore they can willingly place themselves back into slavery to others, a willing slavery. And we looked at this last week where Paul says, look, I'll become a Jew, as a Jew to the Jews. I'll become as under the law, though not actually under the law, to those under the law. I'll become as without law, that is, not having to live out the law of Moses. I'll set that aside because I don't have to live that way. I can live with the Gentiles while remaining under the law of Christ. And then he says, I will become weak. I will present myself as I truly am. That is, apart from Christ, nothing. So he came in weakness, and that's really to all men. He, we do not come in the pride of our culture, and he was willing then to do whatever it took. Within the principles and truths of the word of God, he became all things to all men. That is, anything which would hinder 
his presentation of the gospel. Again, not sinful exhibitionism, but the willingness to lay down freedoms that he could have had in order to win more, as he says. That is to win all that God has. That's Paul's desire. And now it's as though, and maybe you have been thinking through this, I mean, that's a powerful thought. I mean, he finishes out in verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I mean, how do you do that, Paul? I mean, you say that you're doing it. I mean, he's making a very bold claim. This is what I do. So, Paul, how do you do that? Well, he's going to answer that question. If you want to know the answer to how is it that you become or make yourself a slave to all men, Paul's going to give it. Yet it may not be the answer that you want. Because perhaps we're thinking, well, I mean, sure, we're Christians, so the answer to this is we just kind of, we reach a plane or a point in our Christian life where the power of God infuses us, and we just kind of float into this loving of all men and this proclamation of the truth, and we just kind of, kind of carries us along without any effort on our part. I'm sorry, that's not the message Paul has for you. He really has one word, hyphenated word, self-discipline. Like, what? I mean, I came this morning for a sermon on self-discipline. Is this kind of, some kind of stoic philosophy? No we'll see that self-discipline has to do with the Spirit of God empowering us, but it is no less than our pouring out full and complete effort through our mind, will, affections, and conscience as strengthened by the Spirit of God. It is no less than that in order to actually make ourselves a slave of all men. It doesn't come easily for anyone ever. That's what Paul has to say. Self-discipline. I've disciplined myself, as we will see, he says, and made my body a slave. In order to become a slave to all, Paul says, I have to make my own body a slave. I have to discipline myself. And to do that as a good preacher, he's going to give you an illustration. So it's nice this morning. I'm actually going to give you a few extra illustrations, but he gives the main one, a metaphor, a metaphor about racing, a metaphor about running a race, really bringing to mind the idea of the Olympic Games and possibly the Isthmian Games, which were held in Corinth itself every two years. So as he uses this extended metaphor, really we'll break this down into three portions this morning. Paul's exhortation on how to run the race, Paul's prescription on how to be effective in that running, and Paul's example of how he ran the race. He's going to finish with that. This is how I did it. And I want to remind you again that as an apostle, as a preacher and teacher of the word, and you as those who live the word and also proclaim it, it is not just about your proclamation, it is also about your life how you live as empowered by the Spirit. You cannot say, look, do what I say and not what I do. The Apostle Paul never says that. No good dad should ever say that or mom and no good Christian should ever say, hey, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven, but hear what I have to say. No, I am not perfect, I am forgiven and I'm striving to win the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus by disciplining myself for the purpose of godliness. So first exhortation. And again, some of these things are shocking. These are not themes. Now, you're, you're aware of this passage, but these are not themes that we're necessarily in our day and age real familiar with because people seem to shy away from the idea of self-discipline or running to win, like you should win things. Like there should actually be, you should think about the Christian life as pursuing a prize. Well, all of this is found in our passage. We're going to understand it as Paul means it through Christ, but it's no less than these things that he says. So first, Paul's exhortation is run to win. That's why you're here. You are here to win the race in which you are. And in order to do that, he's really going to give them a couple of truisms to start. So in verse 24, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're in a race, what do you do? 
you run. That's why you're there. Now, we're going to talk about the fact that that's not quite so obvious to us as Christians who run, but when he says to the Corinthians, he said this several times, I think it's the last time he says it in this book, but when he says, do you not know, what's he really saying? You do know, right? This is a way of saying, this is something that you ought to have known, and somehow you are forgetting. It's like when Jesus says to the Pharisees, have you not read? What's he saying? You have read, and you ought to have understood and put it into practice. Similar thing here. Don't you know that everyone who's in a race is running? That's why they're in it. That's why it's called a race, because you run it. So do you not know that those who run in a race all run? It's a metaphor, but as he uses the picture of this athletic endeavor, it is an underlying truth that we live out. We are also running, not exactly like an athlete runs, as we'll see, but we also have effort and energy. So the metaphor relates to a real condition that we have as believers, that we are running in this race. Now, this is not the only illustration used, of course, in Scripture about the Christian life. There is a a walk that we have, and there's lots of other illustrations. But in this one, Paul is casting the Christian life as, as a race, that in which we exert effort for a particular prize, for a particular goal. So we kind of have to work all that he's saying around the idea of this metaphor and it should be very familiar to us. So it's kind of nice. I get, to, I get an excuse here for all the athletic metaphors I make because he's making a major one to the men and women in his congregation. So you may not be an athlete. You might not even like athletics, but you know about them. Right? You know about the Olympic Games. And this, this has always been true. We tend to think, well, you know, playing games and sports and stuff, that's, that's a, maybe a more modern concept. It isn't. People have been playing games and having competitions since man was created. It's kind of built into who we are, and people have always been aware of and pursuing athletic endeavors. Not exactly the same as today, but the running of the race, those sorts of things, that applies directly. People ran races, they ran to win, and that's the illustration. And as a Christian, you are running. The reason I belabor this a bit is because Paul takes the time to mention it in his metaphor, and I think sometimes we forget this is what we're doing. Sometimes we think, well, I'm in the Christian life, and it's just passive, I'll just kind of sit and wait, and we're sometimes told that. We just, we'll kind of get pulled along somehow. It's like we're in a, we're in a, you know, a, a limousine race, or where, where it's something entirely different than a, a running race. Now you're running. Effort. The Christian life is never passive. We are always pursuing the goal with real effort that we put forth always in the power of the Spirit of God. So it isn't our power, but it is our effort. We have to put it forth. Philippians 2.16 Again, Paul uses this illustration a lot. He says, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. And it's also true that the idea of running always bears with it the idea of effort, toil. If you run much, you know that it's hard work. It's one of the harder kinds of exercises that you will do. I like to run because it's the most bang for my buck, as it were. When I'm out running, I'm getting like pure exercise. I hop on my bike, I got to ride for an hour and a half to get the same kind of exercise. I'm running is just like, like pure exercise. So it's a lot of work. That's the idea. Philippians 3.14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a running metaphor. I'm running for the prize. I'm pressing on. I'm working hard. The Christian life is described as a race for a reason. As we said, we are putting our faith and trust in Christ. That is his work and power in us. But then as we live out this Christian life, he is empowering and strengthening us, mind, will, affections, conscience, to press forward, to look more like Christ, and particularly here, to win others for Christ. That's the, that's the context. 
You need to exercise that. You're in a race to do what? Yeah, you're winning, but part of your winning is that you're winning others. Remember, he's been using this word, I want to win others for Christ. Well, part of winning in this illustration is that you are exerting all of your effort to make yourself a slave so that others come to know him. It takes work. Now, every year, well, except for the past two years, uh, where I've been a little busy doing some other things, but every year for about the past six or seven years before that, I like to run a half marathon. It's kind of the end of my exercise year, and it's my favorite race. For whatever reason, it's just the one I like the best. And, and so what happens is in January, I'll sign up for it so that I pay some money. It's cheapest then, but if I paid money, I'm going to run the race. And the one I like to run, it's in November. It's the Secret City Half Marathon in Oak Ridge. And you know, well, why that one? Because it's flat relatively flat. Nothing in East Tennessee is flat, all right? But all the other half marathons, like, there's 10 hills out the gate, and I just want to give up after, like, the first three miles. The, the secret city, there's, it, it kind of eases you in, and then it gives you a downward trek on your past four or five miles. So I sign up for that one, and yet I can, you can feel it as I work my way through the year. I only run a couple of races. Again, kind of carrots to keep me moving. You know, in the spring, I'm training a little bit. I hit the summer, kind of this clock, you know, kicks in. The race is coming. So I got to start bumping up the training if I'm going to make it through my secret city half marathon. And I run the race to run the race, right? I, I want to actually run it. So I train so that I can not, you know, stumble through it or go sightseeing in Oak Ridge. Nobody wants to go sightseeing in Oak Ridge. Sorry, Oak Ridgers. But you, you run there. That's what I do. So I get ready to do that. And then in November, I show up. It's usually 30 degrees or less. That's good running weather. I can see my breath. We're all packed around, you know, getting ready to run. We've all been training. The gun goes off, and everybody starts running. And guess what? I'm not the least bit surprised. I'm not like, where's everybody going? I mean, the gun sounded, everybody's running off here. We, we were here to just, you know, kind of here to hang out. High five. Get our stuff. No, we're here to run. And I do not wait on the starting line for the limo to show up. I'm like, yeah, where's my car? We're going to hop in. They'll no, I'm running. I'm in a race. All the runners are running, and that's the idea. In the Christian life, you might have forgotten that. As you sit here this morning, if you're a Christian, you're running. You are a runner. That's why you are in the race, because it is a race to run. So I take off, and I begin to run my 13.1 miles. And I'm excited to be there, but there's a lot of effort that's going to take place before I get to the finish line. So Paul says... Recognize, so this is your first point, just recognize that you are a runner, but his bigger point, right, they know they're runners, his bigger point is, if you are a runner, what are you supposed to be doing? You are supposed to be winning. That's why you run. It says, back in your text, but only one receives the prize, right? In that Secret City Marathon, as we run, I'm never the first one across the finish line. I never get that prize. That is not, in one sense, ever something that I think I would ever be able to do. But it doesn't, I don't run across and they go, oh, you worked really hard. So we're going to give you a first place prize too. You know, we're going to give you the Millennial Consolation Prize. We're going to give you the Participation Award. I mean, we get some bling. We get like a, a bad t-shirt or something like that. But I don't get the first place prize. Only one guy gets it. And that doesn't surprise me at all. That's what happens in a race. You run it to win. There's only one winner. And Paul is saying, you need to understand that there's a way to win this race and there's a way to lose it. Now, here's where the, here's where the metaphor starts to break down a bit because you might be thinking, oh, wait a minute, if we're all running, we're all Christians, does that mean we're kind of jostling each other along the way, doing a little roller derby, knocking each other over, one church against the other, trying to make the finish line? No. In this race, everyone is running. We're all running together, but we're not competing directly against each other is a little bit unique. Again, there's still a winner. There's still a way to win and still a way to lose, and yet we're all running together, 
when we are running according to the individual design of the one who built the race course. Right? So it is he who is making the judgment as to whether we are winning, and he will determine at the end if we have won. But we can win, as it were, and lose. And in fact, this course, it's fascinating, the course that we're running is a little bit different for all of us. The finish line is at the same spot. So in, in the Secret City Marathon, I can't choose my course. We start running like, hey, I'm going to take a shortcut here. I don't want to go there. But in the Christian life, as we run, God has designed a unique course for you. You are each running, and there's only one final finish line, right? The same finish line for everyone, the same judge determining who wins, but our course is a bit different. And it is he all along the way who is making the determination if we are running to win. And he's doing that according to the principles of his word. There are rules. Second Timothy 2.5, fascinating verse. says, the one who competes as an athlete does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. I can't hop on a motorcycle and do the secret city. I lose. Right? I can't have someone pick me up in a car and go. I can't do a different, I have to run according to the rules. Well, in order to win the race of the Christian life, there are rules. Like, what? Yes, the rules of scripture. Paul says, I'm under the law of Christ. I'm driven by the new covenant law that is written on my heart that drives me to love to be conformed to the image of Christ and to obey all the commands of scripture to do that. Those are my rules. And so part of my winning is that I am not competing against the guy next to me. I am looking at the truths of the word and measuring myself against those. And ultimately, the one I'm looking to is Christ. He says then, run in a manner. He brings this up that there's only one that receives the prize because then he's going to say, he does say, back in your text, run in such a way that you may win. You are not here to dilly-dally around. You are not in the race to go sightseeing. You are not in the race for any other reason but to win it. And, and sometimes I think we kind of recoil at that. It's not about winning. It's about in this sense, in this metaphor, and in this understanding of the Christian life, you are here to win. And that means you can lose. What does he mean by this? Now, I, I think generally the picture here is that a losing runner, that someone who loses, is one who is running the race poorly. Right? Always, when, when there's warning passages like this, there, there's kind of a, an exhortation to the believer who is running, who is doing these things, and then there's also a warning underneath to the unbeliever. I think pri Paul's primary challenge here is, look, if you are running this race, you need to run in a winning way, and you can run in a way that is as a loser. He's not necessarily saying right, that the one who runs that way isn't actually in the race. Right? We'll lose eternally. As we will see, there's a danger that you might not actually be in the race. But the bigger picture here is you can run in a way that is a winning manner or one that is as really as a loser. 1 Corinthians 3, he's already brought about this concept. He says, no man can lay a foundation. It's a different metaphor. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it has been revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. He will win, I would say, as we move it back to the racing metaphor. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He will lose. But he himself will be saved, yet as though by fire. We talked about that in this, when we discussed this passage. As our works are placed in this different metaphor uh, to the fire of the furnace which tests the nature of the work, if it's done for Christ, if all the work burns up and yet was still you are on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you still enter in, though like through a pall of smoke, 
Your, your, your body and, and clothes smoking with everything else burned. You kind of stumble in. And Paul says, nobody would want to enter in that way. I think the similar idea with the metaphor of the running, nobody wants to run to lose. You don't run to lose. You don't run for all your works to be burned up. You don't run to lose. The idea is not to crawl across the finish line on your hands and knees, doing the army crawl, just barely making it. The idea is to run across that finish line joyfully, triumphant in the power of Christ, rejoicing in his name and praising him for who he is. That's what every runner would want. Paul says, don't run run as a loser. Run to win. And that's our challenge. And that can be, it can be, I mean, it can be challenging for us to think that way. But this is what the Apostle Paul is challenging the Corinthians to do. Don't you know that when you run in a race, only one wins. And therefore, you should run so that you may win. And every true believer can win. That's the idea. You can all win that prize. Well, what does it really mean then to, to run to win? Well, it means according to the rules, the principles of Scripture. It means to run with endurance. That is to keep running. You're winning if you're still running. And that means to overcome the obstacles placed in front of you. You're winning if you are overcoming those obstacles, continuing to run with endurance, and keeping your eyes fixed on the finish line, ultimately running across it. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You're winning if you're looking at Jesus and continuing to run the path that he set. He's the author and perfecter of faith. He's the first runner, the one who finished, the one who won. So our goal is to emulate him, to look to him, to endure as he did, to go through the trials as he went through them, and then to ultimately cross the finish line in triumph as he did. That's the goal. I want to encourage you with that. Although this is a powerful, it's a strong message. It's challenging because we're like, man, well, I mean, I've just been pathetic. I've been, I've been apathetic in my walk. I've not been trying to win. I've just been, okay, I'm great. I'm glad I'm in the Christian life, but I've not been pursuing the things which bring Jesus glory. Well, the joy of the message is he's worthy of your stepping it up. He's worthy of your running to win. You don't have to continue running in a pathetic manner. You don't have to continue running in a defeated way because he is the one who provides you the strength and he is the one who is worthy of your running. That's why you're running, not for you, Not for me, not for Grace Community Church, not for your mom. You're running for Jesus. That makes it worthwhile. As we will see, the the prize makes it all worth it. So don't forget what you're doing. Don't forget that you're running. And don't forget that the goal is to win. You're supposed to run well. Every Christian is called to run well. Paul's prescription then, how how do we do this? So how do we actually run well? So let's look back into our text in verse 25. He says, run in such a way that you may win. You're like, okay, Paul, that's a strong challenge. It's a throwdown. How, how are we going to run in such a way to win? Here it is. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Oh, that is not the answer I wanted. I wanted, you know, maybe pray a little harder and, and I'll reach a point where I don't have to do much. Maybe, you know, go to church a little more, read my Bible a little bit more, and I'll, I'll somehow reach a point where I don't have to give any more effort. There's a tremendous danger in any kind of Christian teaching which says you will somehow reach a level, reach a place in your Christian life where there's no more work, no more effort, no more self-discipline. Well, if the Apostle Paul hadn't reached it, 
you're not going to reach it, right? His apostle Paul didn't live his life in such a way that he somehow reached the point, no more self-discipline for me. I just, I love Jesus so much that there's no putting aside of my own desires. There's no focusing and concentrating of my energy on Christ. No, always there is this because we must direct our own desires towards Christ at all times in his power. So Paul gives here the illustration, those who compete in the games, and again, as I mentioned, there's, this would be this would be strong in their minds because of the very nature of the competitions that they held every two years. A massive amount of, of races and boxing matches and all kind of tied around the cultic festival. So it's like as he brings this illustration, it's a full-blown one. Not only the racing, but also all of the eating of the meat sacrificed to idols. Kind of one big illustration combined together. That even as you run physically in Corinth, there was this temptation towards idolatry. This is like you need to run and you need to exercise yourself, and those who go to these Isthmian and Olympic games have to train in order to get there. In ancient Corinth, if you were going to enter those games, you had to commit to train for 10 months. And if you didn't train all 10 months under the prescriptions and under the oversight of those who were watching, you didn't get to play in the games. You didn't get to run. They didn't want weak runners. They didn't want to put out a horrible race. So you got five guys or 10 guys that can't even run. They stumble and fall, and they're flabby and out of shape. They were highly developed in their understanding of athletics. You had to train for 10 months. You couldn't drink certain kinds of wine. You couldn't go do certain things. You had to run a certain amount so that you would run well. That was the idea. And if you didn't do that, you didn't get to run. Because look, they exercise self-control, and they do it in all things. That is, you can't just run a lot. Think about it. So I go out, and I'm going to run my, getting ready for my half marathon. I'll run 10 miles today, kind of my, you know, my, my, getting ready, my long run for the day, and then I'll go home and I'll eat two gallons of ice cream. I mean, it's not going to work. I can't control myself to run and then be out of control in every other area of my life because they all fit together. I can't go and just do any, you know, I can't go and and put illegal drugs into my body or put harmful things into my body and say, well, I'm going to be able to run just as well. I can't just go pursue every pleasure that I want because I'm not going to have the time to run. In order to run, I have to discipline myself in every part of life. That's what Olympic athletes do. That's what Isthmian Games athletes did. And that's what we as Christians do. Because notice what he says. There's the game, those who are in the games, they exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. We an imperishable. What's the implication? We too are exercising self-control. The metaphor now moves, it's a, it's, a, it's a double-sided metaphor, the games and the physical race and then the spiritual running. And both have to exercise self-control. And both do so, he also says here, for a prize. So this is Paul's prescription, which is self-control. So he says, in your running, you must exercise this self-discipline. And the word here he uses is very powerful. Right? When he says the runner, the earthly runner, exercises self-control in all things. It's to have the power to exercise one's desires in the way that is most beneficial. That is exercising control over your desires for the purpose of accomplishing what is best. To be able to restrain oneself, to resolutely control one's sensual desires. This was a term used of athletes. They controlled themselves in every way because they were trying to get a prize. There's always a reason. You don't control yourself just and exercise for 10 uh, months, giving up all of these things, just so you can say, oh, that feels good. I'm glad I did that. No, the issue is you got a prize. Now, it says here that they do it to receive a perishable prize. Here is the contrast. They get a little laurel wreath. Now, it was more than that, right, because they got the fame that went along with it. They got the endorsement deals. You might not have known this, 
But this has always been true that athletes get endorsement deals. Even in the gladiatorial games, they would have an endorsement of a certain uh, person or, or patron who would give money to certain things that, that that athlete, as it were, that gladiator was fighting under. It's fascinating. That was high stakes if you didn't do well. You lost your contract because you died. But in, in the running, there were those who also supported the runners. They had lots of money to be made, lots of fame to be had, very similar to today. Right, now we throw more money at our athletes probably than has ever been thrown at anyone in the history of the world. And yet, when they get all that money, where does it go? Well, it's, it's perishable, right? You got Tom Brady with his seven rings, seven Super Bowl rings. You ask him, are you satisfied, Tom? Is that great? No. I got all this money, all these things. I got everything, and I'm not satisfied. Can't be. You've heard this before, but it's true. Some of you are like, man, I wish I could get the chance. I'd be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. Just give me the chance to get my seven rings. I'll show you what satisfaction looks like. No, you won't. You can't possibly be. Why? Because God won't let you. It's impossible to be satisfied with earthly things ultimately because you are built for something different. It can't happen. Not just that it doesn't. It can't. On certain levels of pleasure and happiness, I get that. But no true satisfaction was ever had in perishable things. Paul says that's not the prize you're running for. They exercise so much discipline and they get that, you know, temporary prize, you are exercising all of this discipline, all of this effort, why? For an eternal prize. Benefit now, eternal benefit later. But the issue is you haven't yet received the fullness of the prize. You're not there yet. This is a future prize, assured for believers, but it is future. You don't have all the benefits now. You don't get all the eternal benefits in the temporary. You are looking ahead. It's a prize you will receive. You are running to look ahead. The finish line isn't here. It's not now. It's not on this earth. You exercise now for the purpose of receiving the prize later and eternally. So we have to understand the nature of the prize. We exercise self-control in running and understand the nature of the prize so that it drives us forward to continue to run. 1 Peter 1.4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Your prize is the Lord Jesus. Your prize is intimacy with him forever. Your prize is eternal, gainful service of your Lord and worship of him. And your prize is all of those who come along with you, whom in your self-control and spiritual effort, you won to Christ so that they become part of your prize as you enter into heaven. They, as Paul says in Philippians, are your joy and crown. Same word. Joy and crown, your prize. But you're going to have to work hard if you're going to have the prize of people with you who have been won to Christ, the prize of delighting in the intimacy that you will have with Christ because you pursued it here. And all of this takes work, day in, day out, morning and night, never ending. Like, wow, that sounds like a bummer. Do you think that the Lord Jesus and all of his effort that he put into coming and living upon this earth and dying on the cross for us thought that that effort was a bummer? Like all oh, that work. He lived his life totally expended for you delighted to do so because of the joy of seeing, of, of providing your salvation and of pleasing his father. The apostle Paul delighted in the work that he did. This effort is a delightful effort, but it isn't anything less than effort. It's always more. It's never less. Now, again, you might be thinking that, I mean, that's pretty strong. So I don't feel like I can provide that effort. And you, Chris, okay, you're a pastor. You get to study all day and you get paid to do this, and so you can have lots of effort. And Paul, he was an apostle, so you know, he can really have a lot of effort. This kind of effort is supernatural. Or this kind of power for this effort. 
I never expect when I'm running my secret city to win that race. I'm just never going to do it. I could, I could train really hard. I could do all the stuff. I'm not going to win. Somebody's going to come by me. One time I was first, and that is out the gate. I was running alone in front of everybody. It was during COVID. They, they, they let people go, a cattle start, as it were, one person at a time. And I was just kind of wandering around. I'm like, hey, you, you get to go first. Like, cool. So I got to run out in front of everybody in that race for a very short period of time. <laughs> and man, then they were coming by me, just one after another. I'm not going to win that race. Why? I don't have the skills. But in the Christian life, everyone has equal skill. Everyone, without exception, because self-discipline, self-control, spiritual discipline is something given by the Spirit of God to every believer in fullness. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not even a spiritual gift, which we have in differing measure, or we have different kinds of gifts. Everyone has the fullness of the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation that they can take hold of for self-control. You know the verse, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, wait for it, self-control. You all have equal ability. It's not some pastor that can do it, not some type A personality that's better than you, not some guy training for ministry that's more spiritual than you. Every one of you has the infinite power of the Spirit of God and the truth of the Word of God to be spiritually disciplined every day. This is challenging for us. When you pray, we tend to pray, Lord, give me strength. Now, I understand what you mean by that. But the issue is not that you don't have enough. Really, the prayer is, Lord, help me take hold of the strength that you have provided. Help me take hold of the truth that you've given. You don't need more truth. You need to, you need to know it better. You need, you need to understand and apply it. But you should be praying, Lord, help me take hold of what I've been given. Help me to, to exercise the power and strength that you have provided for me. And God is delighted to answer that prayer. Well, now Paul gives his own example. So he says in verse 26, so Paul's example was focused discipline. He says, look, I'm telling you this is the way it's done. Comparing to Olympic athletes, everyone, every Christian should be pursuing this to get the better crown, the eternal crown, the crown of life. And by the way, I don't think it's one particular thing. A lot of commentators are like, what, what's crown? A crown of life? Crown of... It, it's the crown of all of the blessings and benefits of being in Christ. It's the end result. It's the final prize. It's everything bound up into one. But Paul says, I discipline my body. Excuse me, verse 26, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. So he says, look, here's how you do this. If you're going to have this self-discipline, you have to focus, you have to run with direction. The metaphors are, are simple and powerful. If I'm running a race, we'll go now to the 100-yard dash, I, the, the gun goes off, I see the finish line ahead of me, and I run like a laser bolt for that. Usain Bolt did not set the 100-meter dash world record by running over and doing a few long jumps. Right? He didn't run it by running up into the stands you know, and slapping high fives. He did that after. Right? He ran it by being laser. He didn't run it by looking around and going, Whoa, uh, you know, wow, that looks great, running over to you know, taste, taste some ice cream in the stands. He ran with laser focus on the finish line. He ran with purpose. He ran with direction so that he would win. Paul says, I run as not without aim. I have one aim, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm running for Christ. I'm running for the finish line of knowing and loving him and of winning others to Christ. That's why I'm running. And then he, he switches metaphors. Paul often does this right in the middle. But it's very powerful. He goes, now, and now it's still in the game, so it's not a total switch. Because there were running races, there was lots of boxing. They loved to hit each other, just as we probably always have. 
He says, I box in such a way as not beating the air. Maybe even a more powerful metaphor. You get in the boxing ring, right? And if you are a poor boxer dancing around and flailing away and not hitting your opponent, you're a fool. And you're not going to last long. I mean, you might have seen, if you watch such things, you know, a total mismatch where you got the one guy who comes out, he's just he's trying to make some money to get back, you know, maybe get his belt back, and they put some poor patsy in there who's going to kind of dance around trying to hit. The guy kind of, you know, moves around a little bit, bam, right? knocks him out. He's just flailing away. You know, or or you, don't, you don't try to hit the wrong thing. So you dance around, oh, got a shoulder blow. Oh, gotcha. Hit your knee a little bit. That, that was great. Even a body blow is for what? You're going for the head. And if you cannot hit the head, you will lose. Period. That is, he's flailing away, hitting everything else, not making any kind of strike where it needs to be, and he gets knocked out. Paul says, I don't, I don't box that way. I'd be a fool to do so, and so would you by implication. Because in the Christian life, I'm sorry, we tend to do this. We're beating at everything else. We're punching away at these things, that thing, that distraction, that fad, that spiritual this, that spiritual that. We need to know, love, serve, and pursue Jesus through his word for his glory by seeing people one to Christ. That's what we do. Stop getting distracted. Stop beating the air. Stop running the wrong way. Secret City, they don't hit the gun, and I run back to Maryville. I got to run in Oak Ridge. That's what I have to do. Because you've been given in the scripture what your focus is is to be. Paul says, I don't beat the air. And, and we need to understand that even our good desires, when they distract us from this focus, are beating the air. I mean, people love evil things. They want to you know, give their lives to sensuality and sexuality and, and illegal drugs and you know, extreme sports. They want to do all these things. But yet, some people have really great desires. They just want to have a big family with grandchildren, sit around the, you know, sit around the fire, or the, sit around the hearth at Christmas and just enjoy each other. But that's not the goal. That's not the finish line. The finish line is knowing, savoring, loving, serving Christ along with all those who have been won along the way. Don't get distracted. You can pursue delightful, good, spiritual desires within joyful things of family and career and, and hobbies. But you can't be distracted by them away from this primary goal or you're going to be flailing the air. I mean, so many Christians, they're just flailing in the air. And they come in and we're talking. And when you do that, the consequences are your life is a mess. It's a mess. When you are flailing, you're not hitting the target. You're not racing towards the goal. Look at this next thing that he says. I discipline my body, I make it my slave. Fascinating word. He takes the boxing metaphor and then uses this word discipline, very unusual. It means to punch in the eye to make it black and blue. That's what it actually means. What is he saying? Taking that boxing metaphor, he says, when I discipline my own body, I get a knockout blow. When my desires rise up that are wrong, I punch them out. It's not, not self-flagellation, right? This is, this is a metaphor. Spiritual discipline, not physical, where you don't eat anything and you beat yourself. People have done that. Foolishness. Paul says in Colossians, no value. But controlling your desires that rise up within you, this word body soma, that is all of your mind, will, affections, conscience, the desires contained there that are exercised out through your body, you control it all. Everything. From internal to external, it's all carefully controlled. And it's a very visceral metaphor. He knocks it out. When it rises up within you to gossip, you knock it out. When it rises up within you to be bitter and angry and lacking forgiveness, you don't flail your arms. Well, what about this? And I, secular psychology this. And I got to go find out why my dad did this, this, me this. You don't. Knock it out. You have the principles of the word of God and the power of the spirit of God with the church of God surrounding you. It's time to knock it out. You go for the knockout blow. Paul says, I do that with my body. I make it 
my slave. Notice he goes from saying, look, I make myself a slave to all men to where he finishes this out. The way I do that is by exercising self-control to make my body a slave to me. Don't fool yourself. If you do not control your desires, you will not be a slave to any man. You'll be a slave to yourself. Paul says, I can't be enslaved to myself. I have to make myself a slave. It's entirely different. He may not follow his desires. He leads them. He may not just let them come up. He knocks them out. Our kids, your children, and you have been taught from the moment you were born in this country that any desire that rises up within you, you ought to express it. That's deadly. You have to knock those desires out. You have to learn to put them aside or direct them properly to not let them rule you or you will spend all of your life flailing your arms, running the wrong way, and you'll be a mess. And, and, I talk, and they're like, I'm like, are, are, you, are you running to win? Are you exercising self-control? In the spirit of God, the power that he gives you, according to his truth, are you doing that? And so few actually are, which is why their lives are a mess. No, I don't have self-control, what's that? That sounds like self-righteous legalism. It is nothing of the sort. You can be self-righteous and legalistic in pursuing these things. You could do that, but that's not the reason you do them. You do them to look like Jesus, to win people to Christ, to keep your own desires under control so Jesus looks great and you stop ruining people's lives. Your families, people around you, because you will not be disciplined. Spiritually disciplined. Not type A personality discipline. It's a, it's a strong message, but it's a delightful one because this is done in Christ, and this is done for Christ. The world would try to do this, again, for this perishable wreath. You get to work in this way to serve and love your Savior who already did this. He did discipline his body. He did make it his slave. He did go in the garden and, and have anguish and, 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 and literally sweat drops of blood, and yet directed himself towards the cross. Never sinning, of course. We have to keep our sin under control. He yet still living life, pursuing discipline as we do. Now, so it's, we run, Paul says, so Paul's example focused discipline, run with direction, run with discipline, and then run with holy fear because look how he ends. He says, lest after, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now here again, I don't think the apostle Paul is saying, I might lose my salvation here. I might do all of this and somehow not make it into heaven. I do think he is saying, if I were to lose tight control over all that I do at any moment, even after having preached to others, I could end up with a total mess of my life. My ministry would be a total mess. I'd be disqualified. Now, there is an underlying danger to those who are not even in the race, who think they are and are doing all these things, and they will be eternally disqualified because they were never in. But I think the primary application here for us today is that this is something that never ends. You don't say, well, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty self-disciplined today, and I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually focused on Christ, and so I'll just go on cruise control. The moment you do that, the evil one is waiting for you. Your sinful flesh is coming for you. The culture is going to get you. And just an, another, another man fell today. Just another story, once again, in the Christian world of someone who did not discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness. And there's no undue judgment here. That would be me in a moment if I didn't do this. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I'm not above that. He's not saying, I, I, I can just do this a little bit and then I'm fine. I do it all the time. I make my body my slave every moment of every second of every day so that I will not be disqualified. And he had the power to do it. And the desire to do it, and the reason to do it, and the joy to do it, but he still had to do it. None of us 
could ever say that we wouldn't end up, as it were, that we couldn't end up disqualified, I think, in this way, which is lives a mess, unable to serve and be used of God because we've allowed this. No, again, joyfully, we can recover. But we know of people who have fallen, whose lives are a mess in such a way that they're, they are, are, their ability to be used of God in the sense of the, being able to pursue him in ways that they would have if they hadn't done that are harmed. Well, as the music team will come forward and if the, if the men would come forward, I'd like to make an application here as we consider this idea of being disqualified by encouraging you as we come to communion for the purpose of what we come to examine our hearts in light of our delight in and faith, trust in the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. There's really two kinds of testing that I'd, I'd like you to do as flowing out of this message. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. This is right and good. So you might have been sitting here this morning going, wow, I, I am not exercising myself for the purpose of godliness. I, I, am, I am all kinds of distracted. Well, you, you need to test yourself. So test yourself to see if you're in the faith, examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? The majority of you sitting here this morning are going to be testing yourselves about whether you're in the race, and you're going to be, I'm in the race. I'm wrestling, I'm struggling, but I'm in. I have one delight, and I want to stop flailing. So your examination is, yeah, where are you refusing to exercise spiritual discipline for the purpose of pleasing Jesus? And you need to confess that the purpose to replace that with what you, that which is pleasing and honoring to him on the basis of what he's done for you, not on the basis of your own self-effort. So there's both a, a, an examination which results in confession, but also an examination which results in delight. He's the one that's given you the desire. He's the one drawing you forward. He's the one that made the sacrifice for you and clothed you with his righteousness so you can even make the examination. But then there is a second examination. There might be some of you sitting here this morning one going, what are you talking about? There's no way that I'm living the Christian life like that. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. It's in the text. If, if your desire is not to live for Christ, giving all for him, that's not even your desire, then you may not be in the race. That might be you where you're just like, no, that's, I'm, I'm here for whatever. My, my spouse wants me here. My parents want me here. I, I get a certain kind of excitement by being here, whatever. That's not running. And it may be that your examination is to determine I'm not in the race. And I need to repent. I need to recognize Christ's substitutionary atonement on my behalf, paying my penalty, taking God's wrath, repenting of sin and trusting him. So I can start running. Christians are, are all defined by one thing. They love Jesus and have surrendered to him as Savior and Lord. That's, our, that's what we're characterized by. So you can even be running. But if you, and the other, so there might be someone else here, you're just flailing your arms. You think you're a Christian. You, you've been showing up to things and yet you're getting nowhere. I, keep, I, I am boxing as though there's no one there. I am running without aim. It may be also you don't know the Lord Jesus. So you don't have any aim. You don't have any power. You, you can't box properly. So it's time to humble yourself. It's time to cry out to him. And so might you take, partake that as you make that examination, determining you aren't in the race, might you repent and believe so you can join us as runners. And this would be your first morning. And you would partake of the, these elements which represent to us Christ's sacrifice on our behalf for the first time as one who's in the race, pursuing him with joy.